the First Christian Church of Chiefland brings you the good news of Jesus, and today I want to talk about being a servant like Jesus. Portraits. There have been countless portraits painted over the years by many different artists, and some who are famous, and some who are not. But they are portraits just the same. And it has been said by someone that a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, I imagine that is true. And I have often looked at the various paintings and portraits and not seen what others have seen. Some see great art, while depending on the picture, I think I've seen a better picture painted by a first grader. And I guess that's the difference in vision and character and taste. There have been great artists over the years, Da Vinci, and Michelangelo, and Van Gogh, and Rembrandt, and more modern painters like Thomas Kincaid and Bob Ross, two of my own personal favorites. And today we're going to begin a series involving a portrait. It's a portrait of Jesus. We're going to look into his life from various points of view to get an understanding how we can be more like our Savior. But before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I'm truly grateful for the opportunity to begin this series on a portrait of Jesus, to recognize various things in his life that we can truly emulate and be just like Jesus, to look at the portrait and realize we can be like that person that one who is the Son of God. So help us, Lord, to paint the portrait through the Word of God, to understand more of who Jesus is in various stages of his life, in various ways in his ministry, that we might be more like Jesus. And today, as we learn to be a servant like Jesus, I pray we understand that having a servant's heart and what it can do for us, as well as the people who are receiving the blessing of our service. For this, I thank you, Lord, and the opportunity this morning to share with my brothers and sisters. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What was the purpose of Jesus coming here to earth? Yeah, we remember that Jesus came to die, but do we remember the other purpose that he said he came for? To find out, we must venture behind our text to see what Jesus had already explained to the apostles. But they apparently had not learned the lesson. Just a little background information. In Mark chapter 10, we see James and John's desire to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand, and, and the displeasure was shown on the other ten apostles. And at this, Jesus speaks about being great and says it in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said that he came to serve, not be served. Not to attract attention, not to be inducted into the Rabbi Hall of Fame. He came simply to serve and to give. He didn't measure his effectiveness by the size of his congregation or the power of his preaching. He was most concerned with helping people. He was moved with compassion to assist those who were hurting. And he continually gave himself in service to others. So now we're going to read our text in John chapter 13. It'll be very familiar to you. You'll know this text. In John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, son and son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, 
and took a towel and girded himself. And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed these only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who has sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You know the foot washing, the institution of the Lord's Supper, but you know what was else was going on in the upper room that night of the Passover meal. Well, according to Luke chapter 22, in Luke's account, we note that Jesus does this act of servitude, foot washing, in the context of the disciples disputing who's going to be the greatest. Again! It's not the first time. They've done this numerous times. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? In other words, who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left hand? It must have grieved Jesus to have them here arguing about who would be the greatest when just in a few hours he was going to die on a cross. And if it seems hard to understand how the disciples could have possibly indulged in an unseemly quarrel over who should have the preeminence, we only remind ourselves that it takes only one person to set a whole company in an uproar. The devil had entry to the inner group now through Judas. And furthermore, they may have felt the pressure of being in Jerusalem at this time, knowing that Jesus was not accepted, and in fact, much in danger from the Pharisees and Sadducees. All this led up to Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Let me give you a little background on foot washing, first of all. In the first century Palestine, they didn't have asphalt streets and concrete expressways. All the main thoroughfares were good old-fashioned dirt roads. The people didn't have shoes either, not even sandals, at least not the way we know sandals. Their version of the sandal was merely a slab of leather held to the foot by a single leather strap. Now add the dirt road, the sorry sandal, the fact that the Palestine was a land of open sewage. Beasts of burden roamed freely through even the busiest of thoroughfares. In such an environment, it's not difficult to imagine the sort of filth that can be accumulated on one's feet. And the prevailing weather conditions didn't help. It seemed that in Palestine it was either extremely dry or extremely wet. If it was dry, the roads would be quite dusty and the pedestrian feet would become caked with dust. And in the event it was a wet day, the roads would become muddy and the feet would become caked with mud. Either way, whenever you went anywhere, your feet got dirty. 
And add to that, the, the, the whole thing was the long distances they had to walk in those days. Their feet would be covered with sweat and dirt. Now a thought. A thoughtful host would, of course, see that a slave or lowest servant, a young child, washed the feet of his guests, or at least the water and towel were available to them. It may seem strange that the disciples had entered the upper room without washing their feet. Why had they not washed their feet? Now, some speculation, perhaps the disciples were too eager to get their master off the dark and menacing streets of the city where assassins might hide to think of such a matter as washing their feet at the entrance. The fact is that each of the apostles had no doubt noticed the water bowl, the towel placed conveniently in the doorway by the owner of the home, was it beneath their dignity to volunteer to wash anyone's feet? Might it be interpreted by one of the other men as, as personality weakness? Or as an act done by an inferior to a superior? Who will wash the feet? Who will do the honor? One thing's for sure. It was not going to be Andrew. You see, Andrew could beg off on the grounds that he was the first apostle called. At least in name is mentioned before anyone else. It would be fitting for such a one to wash the dirty feet of the others. It would not be fitting. You see, he was number one. First guy called. and That meant he's the top of the totem pole. How about Peter? Peter, how about you? Well, will you deign to wash the feet of the, the rest? Certainly not. Peter had made the confession. He had been singly honored. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Jesus said. He could not be expected to do such a menial task as wash their feet. Well, John, how about you? You wash the feet. There's the picture of the water at the base of the towel. Oh, unthinkable. I am the one who is the most popular with the Lord. He would not want me to wash the feet. Well, Judas, why don't you do it? Well, his refusal would be on the ground he was a ranking officer in the group. After all, he was the treasurer. He signed all the checks. It could never be that Judas would wash their feet. James, I guess you're next. Well, come on, get with it. All is ready. The picture of the base of the towels again, the same reaction. After all, James is one of the big three. He had been to the Mount of Transformation, seen the Lord in his glory, and all that was a secret at this time. To all except Peter and John, such procedure for one so grand could never be. Who will wash the feet, the dirty feet? Well, we know the answer. It was Jesus. Not exactly the job for a king or a messiah, is it? Here's Jesus, the Son of God, humbly and lovingly waiting upon his disciples. It's a dirty, smelly task. And Jesus is doing it during dinner. During dinner! Can you picture the scene? The argument is getting intense. Jesus, no doubt disappointed, perhaps even disgusted, draws some water, kneels down before his men one by one, and does the very deed of one of them should have already done. And in doing so, Jesus illustrated for them, and through Scripture for us, five principles of servanthood. Five attitudes and actions that we who serve the sovereign servant are expected to reflect in our lives. So here's the five principles of being a servant that Jesus taught us by washing the feet of the disciples. 
Number one is this. The Sovereign 77 shines public fanfare. He shines public fanfare. Look again in verse 3, 4, and 5. Jesus, knowing the Father, had given all things into his hands. He had come from God, was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he, with which he was girded. Think about it. Jesus gets up, and he starts doing all these things. He starts washing the disciples' feet. And I can only imagine what I'm being asked. As they decline or recline against the table, their feet are stuck out there, and they're taking a bite of this, and they're like, really, Peter, you think you're going to be the one over me? I'm Andrew. I was the first one chosen. As Jesus is washing Andrew's feet, and he does his job, and they're still arguing, and he goes to the next one, maybe it's Thomas, and he washes Thomas's feet. And they're still talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom while Jesus is going on washing their feet. He didn't say a word. He just did the deed. He didn't make some dramatic announcement. He just modeled the he just modeled the attitude. Maybe you never stop to think about it, but Jesus' feet were dirty too. Jesus, no doubt, was tired and aching from a day of ministry and conflict. He didn't feel like washing feet either. After his exhausted tremendous burden, knowing that in less than 24 hours, his body would be lying in the tomb. Yet here he is, dirty feet, listening to man who should have known better, arguing over whom was going to be his right-hand man. And without a word, Jesus grabbed the towel, the water, the basin, and quietly began to wash dirty feet. He refused to draw attention to himself. He simply did the deed. What was Jesus' purpose in this act? Washing the feet? It was his means of teaching the apostles humility. If he, their master and Lord, was willing to perform this menial task, one usually reserved for slaves, they should be willing to do the same. I saw this once. It said, the preacher always told his friend, I've got a tremendous sermon on humility, and as soon as there's enough people show up, I'll preach it. You see, that's the problem with humility. Humility cannot be showcased. The moment it goes on display is the moment it ceases to be. The word humility comes from a compound Greek word which, uh, when put together, means to think with lowliness or to be lowly in mind. The implication of humility is unmistakable. If you are consciously aware and, in fact, quite impressed with the humility undergirding your actions, then you're not being humble. Don King, the flamboyant boxing promoter in the interview, said this about his accomplishments. He said, sometimes I amaze myself, and I say that with all humility. No, he didn't. Nothing can be said in humility. It must be done quietly, without announcement, with the proper attitude. And that's the way Jesus handled it. He didn't make a big deal. He didn't call the press to cover the story. He didn't tell his men and what he was about to do. He didn't expect them to fall all over themselves just because he did it either. He just did it. And so should we. Just do it. It doesn't take fanfare and a brass band. We should serve with quiet humility as Jesus did. We just do it. We don't need a brass band. We don't need to tell the press. 
we just get it done. And that's what the cyber servant servant does. He shuns public fanfare. The cyber servant also serves scorns false claims to self-sufficiency. False claims to self-sufficiency. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said, what, I have, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. What was Peter really saying to Jesus? The emphasis seems to be, no, never, not even until eternity will you wash my feet. Now that sure sounds humble, doesn't it? It sounds like he's saying, you know what, I really ought to be washing your feet. But that's not the thought. What Peter is expressing is not humility, but rather pride. The kind of self-sufficient pride that refuses to admit that there might just be a need someone else can fill. And just as Peter tried to cover his dirty feet, we often do the same, attempting to hide the truth of our lives under a facade of sufficiency, adamantly refusing to admit our need. Hey, it's tough to admit you have dirty feet, isn't it? Let me ask you, are you a Peter type? Do you find it difficult to unmask your life and admit that you might just have a need? Your friends reach out to try to help. Your family tries to assist, but you continue to play the game, pretending to yourself, fooling only yourself into thinking that you can somehow handle it. And part of being a servant is a willingness to lose that tough guy image. Being able to say, you know, my feet are dirty and I really could use the help. Now perhaps Peter thought his little tirade would end this uncomfortable confrontation and he would be left alone to contemplate his dusty toes. But Jesus had no intention of backing off. And Jesus let him know, if you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. You see, the sovereign servant servant scorns false claims to self-sufficiency. Because at times, brothers and sisters, we all need help. And we need to let one of God's servants help us. Number three is the sovereign servant's servant stands firm under pressure. Stands firm under pressure. Jesus said, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if you do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. And Simon said, well, I Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Really? And what does Jesus say? He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not clean. Jesus was no whip. One of his men was out of line. Jesus was trying to make his point and make it quite clear. Look, as long as you're playing on my team, you're going to play by my rules. If that's not acceptable to you, there's the door. There's the door, Peter. You see, being a servant doesn't mean that you have to clone, be cloned of Don Knotts. No way. Certainly, a servant is called to bend low in order to help others, but when truth is threatened, or the character of Christ is challenged, the true servant of God refuses to bend. Refuses to bend. 
Do you refuse to bend when it comes to serving God? Are you standing firm for Christ in the face of opposition? Or do you compromise? I said this some months ago, and I'd be pleased to stand here and say it again. I've changed my mind a number of times in, this, in the service of the Lord over the years, 30-some years, 36 years I think it's been. I've changed my mind on things that give me freedom to change my mind. But I will not, and I have not, in 30-some years, Change my position on the doctrine of Jesus. If you want me to change my position on the doctrine, you might as well just fire me. It's not going to happen. Because I will not bend because the world thinks I should. I do not bend my position on abortion. It's wrong. Praise God for the Supreme Court. And now I just hope the states will stand up and do what's right. I will not bend on my position on homosexuality. It's wrong. However, what I will bend on is those people still need Jesus. And it's not right for us to shun them. In that regard, they still need Jesus. I will not bend on what the doctrine says about baptism. It's by immersion, and it's required for salvation. I will not bend on the position of the Lord's Supper, which should be taken every Lord's Day. You see, these are commands of God, and I do not want to stand in the face of God and say, well, I thought I'd do it my way. And all I can say to God in that regard, I'm not Frank Sinatra, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it God's way. And that's how a sovereign servant's Servants should stand firm under pressure. Number four, a sovereign servant servant serves without partiality. So when he was washing their feet, taking his garment, sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? Verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then your, father, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now I want you to look at that word there. Now think with me. Do you know who there includes? It includes Judas. Jesus washed Judas's feet as well. Can you imagine stooping before your betrayer, loosening the clasp of his dusty sandals, pouring the water over his feet, massaging each toe dry with his towel? That's grace. That's humility. To serve without prejudice. To serve with no faults as to who it is you are serving. I read this letter, or I read this article about uh, a young man who was a podiatrist. And he'd go in the library to do research and to do different things. And there was always this group of people in the library. And he noticed them, and over time he never really spent time talking to them. Uh, but occasionally he might say hello or something. But he noticed over time he, they had certain uh, unique thing, ways of doing things, so he gave them little nicknames of his own. And over time as he's going after a month or so of him in his own mind having these little nicknames, like this one guy always wore a, a kerchief around his neck. 
Every day he had a, a handkerchief around his neck. So he was uh, Mr. Handkerchief. Well, one day he noticed Mr. Handkerchief was walking very strangely as he was going through the library to get books. And the doctor walked over and said, Sir, are you having a problem? He said, Yeah, my feet seem to hurt today. I, I'm having a real lot of trouble walking. Well, he's a podiatrist. Who better to look at someone's feet? He said, took him back away from the rest of the crowd and said, Sir, why don't you sit down and let me take a look? I'm a podiatrist. I look at people's feet all the time. Maybe I can help. As he sat down, and he, the, the doctor took off his shoes, which is was an older man. His shoes were worn, old socks. And he took off the socks. What he found is the man's toenails had curled down over his toes and the points, and it was digging into his toes to the point the man could hardly walk. So the podiatrist went back to the office and came back with his nail clippers and a fresh pair of socks, and he clipped that man's toes, or the toenails, and he gave him a fresh pair of socks. And the podiatrist said this, it taught him a very valuable lesson about ministry. He said, I never ever again went anywhere without my toenail clippers and a clean pair of socks. Because there might be someone out there that just needed their toenails clipped. You see, you might have expected Jesus to say, look, I washed your feet, now you wash mine. But he didn't. Not once this entire scene did Jesus attract any attention to his own dirty feet. And that's something a true servant doesn't do. He wasn't interested in employing heavy-handed guilt tactics and manipulative mind games. He was simply making a point. And the point was, you need to be doing this for each other. You need to be looking at your fellow man with servant's eyes, not merely looking for what others can help you with, but how you can help others. Cultures change. We, we no longer get dusty feet when we go to dinner. So Jesus is not suggesting the actual process of foot washing was to become a lasting ordinance of the church. No, Jesus said that he did this as an example. An example of humility and service. And behind the dusty feet of the divine principle, the one who serves the sovereign servant serves without partiality, period. It may be finances, it could be time, it might be something as simple as a pair of nail clippers. But if your teacher and Lord served you, you must also serve. And finally, the sovereign servant servant smiles most when he is serving. Smiles most when he is serving. In verse 15 it says, Jesus said, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most surely I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Now that word blessed, you know what that word blessed means? It means happy. Jesus is telling us that true happiness results from a servant lifestyle. And you know what's true. By far the happiest, most enthusiastic people are those who have forgotten themselves not those who are constantly trying to find themselves. You know, I found in my ministry, the people who are usually greeting at the door. Like in Maryland, we had a greeter's ministry. There were a few people, they, they wanted to be nothing but stand at the door and greet people. Say good morning when they came in. 
shake her hand. Because you know, I think every single person that was on our greeting ministry had serious medical problems. And you would never know it. Because they were happy just to stand there and smile and shake people's hand and give people a hug. And you never know at the same time they have a lot of pain of their own. But they're, they're, they were the happiest people I could have just... You know, you look forward to coming in because you, you were coming in with a sad face, you know. Five seconds after you walked away from them, you were smiling. That's how they made you feel. Dr. Carl Menninger, a famous psychiatrist, once gave a lecture on male health. And after the lecture, he answered questions from the audience. And one attendee said, what would you advise a person to do if a person felt a nervous breakdown coming on? Most explained to say consult a psychiatrist go on a vacation, take a leave of absence. But to their astonishment, he replied, lock up your house, go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need and do something to help him. And there you have it. Not from a preacher, but from a psychiatrist. There's a poem that goes like this. Servanthood is giving when you feel like keeping. Praying for others when you need to pray for, when you need to be prayed for. Feeding others when your own soul is hungry. Living truth before people even when you can't see results. Hurting with other people even when your own heart can't be spoken. Your own hurt can't be spoken, excuse me. Keeping your word even when it's not convenient. It is being faithful when your flesh wants to run away. That's servanthood. Jesus said, I left you an example. Do as I have done to you. Now don't tell me you're too busy. Don't assume someone else will take care of the need. Don't think you're too important because you're not. And neither am I. God has given us all at least one special gift. In 1 Peter 4.10 it says, As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You've got what it takes to do it. So be like Jesus. Just do it. If our goal is to know Christ more intimately in order to imitate him more perfectly, I guess that means the ball is in our court. We know now that Jesus was called to earth to model servanthood. We've seen him in action, selflessly stooping low to serve his men. Now how about us? Is serving a word people would use to describe us? Listen, if you really want to be blessed of God, if you really want to know fulfillment and satisfaction... And grab a picture, picture, roll up your sleeves, find some dirty feet, and go to work, so to speak. And Jesus teaches the proud, ambitious disciples a lesson on love, humility, and true discipleship by performing a humble deed of love. This had nothing to do with washing feet and everything to do with being a servant. And I will tell you this. When I served as a deacon, one of the most humbling things that ever happened to me was having my feet washed. Because we would have monthly deacons meetings. There were seven of us. And one, one uh, Tuesday evening when we, deacons were meeting at uh, Jerry Hoffman's house, we were all sitting around and started the meeting. Jerry comes in with a bowl and a towel and a washcloth. And he walks over. I don't remember who was first, but he took off their shoes and started washing their feet. And we're all just sitting there like, what's he doing? washing our feet. This is really weird. But Jerry didn't say a word. And he walked around and washed every single deacon's feet. 
And all of us just sat there. We were shocked. And then we talked about how it feels to have someone serve you. Being a servant. And we told him that was really strange. But it gave us all insight who we were as deacons. Just to serve God's children. Oh, we didn't have to wash their feet. But God's children require us many different things, don't they? In his book, The Training of the Twelve, A.B. Bruce said, Jesus loved the disciples to the end, though they did not also love him. One of them, at his very moment, entertained the diabolic purpose of betraying his Lord. Yet that Lord loved him, even him, condescending to wash even his feet, so endeavoring, if possible, to overcome his evil with good. You think about it, can we be so loved? That Jesus even served one who would betray him with love? If Jesus personally described himself as a servant, his disciples testified to him as a servant, and his constant involvement with people showed that he was a servant, then is it far best to assume that God desires the same from us? Would it be accurate to say that we are more like Jesus when we do as Jesus did when we serve? And that's a portrait of a servant. The lowest position in the house Jesus took. Washed their feet. Should have been done before supper, but none of them took the opportunity. And as far as we know, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane with dirty feet. Never says he got his feet washed. What does God think of us when we serve? What does God think of us when we shun the opportunity? I'm sure you can probably put an answer to both those questions. On your own. Let me ask you this. What does God think of you if you haven't accepted His Son Jesus and you've been given countless opportunities by hearing the gospel and giving your life to Jesus? I've often thought about that question because for this reason, one of these days you're going to have to stand before God and give an account. And the account will be when God looks at you and says, Why didn't you accept? Remember those days you heard? Remember that July 3rd, 2022, when you heard about my son and servant? And the preacher said, You need by faith, by faith, believe in Jesus. By faith, repent of your sins. By faith, confess the name of Jesus. By faith, be immersed in the water and grave of baptism. Have your sins washed away in the gift of the Holy Spirit. By faith, walk the rest of your days serving me. Why didn't you do it? And 
and you won't have an answer. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, and that's why Jesus came and died on that cross. If you have a decision to make today, maybe today, the scripture says today is the day of salvation. You need to give your life to Jesus today. 